You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, we're honored that you would welcome us into your homes today. So welcome to the tribe and a special welcome to those of you who have not yet believed in Jesus. You know, Jesus was the single most influential person in the history of the world. So uh, even if you've not yet believed in spiritual things, you're wise for uh, tuning in to this service in order to learn about Jesus. So big brain move on your part. Jesus is the God reveal, and we're going to look at a story today that's one of my favorites, uh, the story of water to wine, and it took place at a wedding. Jesus did his first miracle at a wedding, and I actually like weddings. Uh, On screen, you'll see a picture of my wedding back in the day, just a couple of years ago. Uh, So weddings are events that some women dream about their entire lives. Now, uh, just a little advice to those of you are single men that'll make your life go way better. When it comes to the wedding, if someday you get married, just say these words to your lady. Yes, honey, whatever you want. Yes, honey, whatever you want. You know, that, that will make your life a lot better. But today, we're continuing in the Better Recognized series where we're studying through the Gospel of John. Now, let me ask you a question. Why would Jesus do his first miracle at a wedding? Well, as we look at the story of Jesus' first miracle, let's look at it through the eyes of two women. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the young bride who was being married at this wedding. Now, if you can't see this story through the eyes of women, then you'll never understand the deeper meaning of this story. So keep that in mind as we read this amazing story. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. When people think about this story, they think of it as the water to wine story. So why is wine so significant all throughout the Bible? Well, it's because wine represents joy. We see this in the very first book of the Bible. Go with me back to Genesis chapter 27. I'm going to read verse 28. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new what? Wine. 
Now, the joy of wine continues in the writings of the prophet Jeremiah. I want to take you to Jeremiah 31. Look at verse 12. It says, They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine. We also see the good effect of wine in the Psalms. I want to take you to Psalm 104. Look at verse 14. It says, he makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine, look at this next part, that gladdens human hearts. The prophet Isaiah gives us a picture of the kingdom of God when he writes about wine in chapter 55 of his book. Look at verses 1 and 2. Isaiah says, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what's not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. So he likens wine to something that's like luxurious, the richest affair. So I understand that some of you may be thinking, how can we talk about joy in times like this? You know, the joy of wine and all of it. Because in these days, we're seeing racism, division, and a global pandemic. Who's no, who knows what's going to happen next, right? But joy is exactly what we need to talk about. This is the perfect time to talk about joy. Look, people won't want to listen to our message of racial equality if we're an angry, unjoyous people. We should be the most joyous people in the world. So what's the reputation of many Christians or church people? Well, it's not joyous, but it's angry shouting. People who are known by what they're against rather than what they're for. People who are uptight about life. And for the uptight religious types, it's really all about what you're not supposed to do instead of the joy that you can experience in Christ. And a lot of church people convince our world that God is always angry at them. That's the narrative that's been picked up on by leader of the new atheist movement, Richard Dawkins. I want you to listen to his description of God in one of his books. He says, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilicidal, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. I guess Richard Dawkins miss the part of the Bible that we see given by one of the wisest men who ever lived, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7, where God says, go ahead, eat your food with joy and drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this. God wants our hearts to be happy. <laughs> and could it be that people like Richard Dawkins are actually projecting onto God what's in their own heart? 
One prominent atheist, Adam Lee, highlights Richard Dawkins' poor treatment of women in an article in The Guardian. He says, many female atheists have explained that they don't get more involved because of the casual sexism endemic to the movement, that is the new atheist movement. Parts of it see nothing problematic about hosting conferences with all-male speakers or having all-male leadership. And that's before you get to the vitriolic and dangerous sexual harassment online and off that's designed to intimidate women into silence. In one debate about women's rights, Richard Dawkins argued that rape victims shouldn't be considered trustworthy if they were drinking. On Twitter and elsewhere on the subject of sexual harassment, Dawkins said, stop whining. He also said, if you're pregnant with a child with Down syndrome, he said, abort and try again. Hmm. So who's the real misogynistic, infanticidal, capriciously malevolent bully? You know, the great Christian scholars are actually people you might like. They're people who experience and embrace joy. The great C.S. Lewis and his best friends created a tribe called the Inklings. Uh, the members of this tribe uh, consisted of W.H. Lewis, who is C.S. Lewis's brother, a guy named Charles Williams, and J.R.R. Tolkien. They spent hours in the joy of tribal community and conversation at a pub called The Eagle and Child. They would drink beer, discuss the books that they were writing, and they would discuss the things of God. And from that joyous fellowship came great books like Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, Chronicles of Narnia, Screwtape Letters, Mere Christianity, and a book called Surprised by Joy. And these books continue to bring joy to millions of people all over the world. See, these guys understood that Jesus is all about joy. They knew the Jesus who joyously turned water into wine. Now, I have to say this, disclaimer. If you're an alcoholic, don't mistake this talk or this service as encouragement for you to relapse. While some of us have the freedom to drink in moderation, you know that you cannot if you're an alcoholic. You know the truth of Proverbs. Look at chapter 20, verse 1. It says, wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. And I believe that Jesus has a word for you if you've struggled with alcoholism. And it's in Matthew chapter 26. Uh, look at verse 29. He says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now, from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And right now, did you know that Jesus is abstaining from wine, waiting on you in the Father's kingdom when you can appropriately drink a great glass of wine with Jesus? So for you, for some of you, Instead of wine as joy for you, you might want to consider Topachico mineral, mineral water, right? <laughs> so we all find joy in different things, and Jesus is pleased with this. I find joy in paletas, in 
Esther Constantes flautas, uh, when my friend uh, Lorena posts nice things about me on Facebook. I find joy in a bike ride on the river walk on the South Reach, you know. Uh, I find joy in those El Pastor tacos, which is the official taco of pastors everywhere. So wine shows us that we can have life to the full. And as we think about this, I want you to look back at the story at Mary's request. Now, as we look at Mary's request in the story, have you ever known a mom that's a fixer? Well, that was the kind of mom that Mary was. It doesn't matter where she is, she wants to fix everything and everybody, right? So that was Mary at the party. And if you went back and looked at verse four, uh, Jesus' mother, Mary, said to him, said to Jesus, they have no more wine. That was her request. She's like, they have no, no more wine. This is a problem because Mary knows that running out of wine at a wedding feast is a party foul and she wants to fix the problem. This is embarrassing to the young bride. Look at this story through the young bride's eyes. Can you imagine how this young bride felt that people were at her wedding reception and they would think of her wedding party as lame because they ran out of wine? So the young bride was probably in her teens since people in that day got married much younger than people today do. And a lot of people uh, might ask something like, well, why would Jesus help with this type of situation? Why would Jesus do a miracle to turn water into a wine for this young bride's wedding party? Um, some people would say, well, this is just a little thing. It's not a big deal. It's not like Jesus' other miracles where a child is dying and needed to be healed, or it's not like when Lazarus had died and needed the miracle to come back to life. This was an inexperienced teenage couple running out of wine, and that doesn't really hurt anyone. It just makes for a lame party. Well, what it shows us is that Jesus even cares about the little things in our lives, in your life. Never be afraid to pray to Jesus about the supposed little things in your life. Some of you think Jesus is too busy running the universe to hear your little requests, but he loves you and he wants to hear those little requests, those small things. So we can submit the big and the little things of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus. Jesus' response shows us how Mary is learning lordship. After Mary asked Jesus for help with the wine, look at his response in the second part of verse four. He says, woman, why do you involve me? That's an interesting response, isn't it? Woman, why do you involve me? Well, according to Jewish scholar David Stern, this could be translated, woman or Mary, you must not tell me what to do. So people wonder what's going on here in this text. Is Jesus not honoring his mother here? Well, actually what's going on is that Jesus is transitioning from being her son to being her Lord. Oh, Jesus honors her. Even on the cross, he honors her by providing a home for her with John, the author of the book that we're studying this summer. Jesus is helping his mother transition from a mother to a follower of his. And by the way, only Jesus gets to do that. You know, if I tried to tell my mom, call me Lord, you know what she'd say? She'd tell me, I changed your diapers and raised you, so I'll call you whatever I want. And you know what? She's right. Only Jesus gets to do that. 
And ladies, you know at City Tribe Church, we want you to know that you're empowered to lead and your leadership is most powerful when it's under the lordship of Jesus as Mary's was. Now in the next part of the passage, let's see how Mary learns the joy of God's timing. See, if you were to look back at the next part of the passage, Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Joy operates in God's timing. We don't have to get in a hurry. Jesus told his mom, my hour, or in some translations it would say, my time has not yet come. And throughout this book of John, we see that Jesus was constantly aware of being in God's time frame. So if you go to chapter 7, you would see this angry mob was trying to uh, kill Jesus prematurely, but he slipped away because of John 7.30, where he says his hour had not yet come. Then in chapter 8, Jesus spoke out against the Pharisees who wanted to kill him. Look at chapter 8, verse 20. Yet no one seized him because... His hour had not yet come. It happens again in chapter 12. The time of Jesus' death was near and he recognized it. And look at how he talks about it in John 12, 23. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. See? And then in chapter 13, during Jesus' last Passover celebration with his disciples, in verse 1, he says, it says, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And finally, in chapter 17 of John's gospel, during one of Jesus' final prayer sessions on earth, John tells us in verse 1 of chapter 17, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Jesus knows God's timing. Remember a few weeks ago, we saw that the interruption is an invitation to see the power of God. Well, Jesus was well aware of God's timing for the events of his life. Thus, we can trust him with the timing in everything in our lives. So some of you are thinking about the timing of different things in your lives. The time for you to get married. Some of you are saying, come Lord Jesus, come quickly, right? God knows the timing in that. We've been thinking about the time to start public church services again. It's not right now because COVID cases are spiking, but... We can trust God patiently that the timing will come. Some of you are thinking about the time that you'll get a job because you're unemployed because of this crisis. The time will come. Some of you are thinking about the time you're going to completely break free from the addiction that you've been struggling with and you've been fighting against it. I want to encourage you. Your hour, your time will come some of you are thinking about the time you'll be able to finally have children. Some of you uh, are thinking about the time when your children will finally leave home. Um, some of us are thinking about the time that the San Antonio Spurs will again return to the NBA Finals. God, we're praying that that time will come, right? 
Mary was able to make the transition from mother to follower. And she also made the transition to a person who trusted God's timing. And that may be a word for some of you today to trust in God's timing for that thing that's heavy on your heart right now. Um, but this is why Mary said to the helpers at the wedding in verse five, he said, you do whatever he tells you. She said, you do whatever Jesus tells you. Now look, women and men, Christ followers, we see the power of God in the timing of God when we say to others, you do whatever Jesus tells you, right? So what happens next? Well, Jesus has them fill up the water jars and take them to the, a guy called the master of the banquet. Now, if you were going to verses eight and nine, uh, Mary says, take it, the water, to the master of the banquet. So who's the master of the banquet? Well, he's kind of like the DJ. He's spinning records. He's getting people to dance with joy. He's kind of the extrovert party guy, the life of the party. The master of the banquet was going to be the master of the lame until Jesus comes in and saves the party because they ran out of wine. So why would Jesus save a party? Well, he's making a statement. He's saying, I'm the master of the banquet. I'm God of the party. I'm the God of joy who gives life to the full, see? Sure, he had to suffer a brutal beating on the cross. Sure, Jesus said to us that in this world, you'll have trials and trouble. Sure, you have to die to yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus, but that's what makes the feast, the party at the end so much better. All the suffering is actually leading up to something and that something is a party. So when this wedding feast happened, John was just a young, naive Jewish kid. And when he grows up, John became the apostle of Asia Minor. And in John's eyes, Asia Minor was like a, a place of craziness. You know, it was like Las Vegas on steroids. It was a crazy place. And when John got to Asia Minor, he noticed that they worshiped these mythical gods and they would build these statues to these mythical gods one of whom was Dionysius, who was said to be able to change water to wine. Dionysius was the god of wine. Maybe that's why when John wrote an account of Jesus' life, he recorded the first miracle of Jesus. Jesus really turned water to wine, and John knew that. And it wasn't the cheap wine like Boone's Farm or Night Train Express. And it's for sure not Merlot because I don't like Merlot. But the wine Jesus made was the best. People in Napa would have paid top dollar for the good stuff that Jesus made. And when John rolled into Asia Minor as a mature man and he saw the statues of Dionysus, I'm sure he kind of chuckled on the inside and he thought to himself, Dionysus is not the God of wine. Jesus is the real God of wine. Jesus is the real master of the banquet. And this is a message about Jesus that really needs to get out. Well, why is that? Because there's a reason most people don't want to go to church or seek after God. And it's not because most people have actually studied it out uh, and through logic decided they don't believe in God. The real reason is because all they hear about Christianity is that you have to suck it up 
and do a lot of religious stuff to go to heaven. People only hear that they have to give up all the fun stuff to have a relationship with God. And by changing water into wine, Jesus is saying, you've got it all wrong. I'm not just about suffering. And if you think I'm only about suffering, you believe the half-truth. I'm about the party. If you want the most fun, the best party, then follow Jesus. More on the ultimate banquet of Jesus here in a minute. But before we look at the Jesus ultimate party, let's go back to the wedding for a minute since we're, you know, in the water to wine story took place at a wedding. Um, when, when you're at a wedding, if you're single, like Jesus was, what are you thinking about when you're at a wedding? <laughs> you know what you're thinking about. <laughs> you're thinking about your wedding. Don't lie. You ladies know that you're thinking about the music at your wedding and the dresses and the un uncomfortable clothes that you're going to make your man wear at the wedding. Of course, all the groom can think about is after the wedding. Kidding. Not kidding. Okay. Uh, what, what was Jesus thinking about at this wedding feast that we're studying today where he turned water into wine? Well, first, we know Jesus was single. And if weddings are a sore spot for you because you've lost a spouse or you want to be married, but you're not. Jesus understands. He understands how you feel right now. I think Jesus may have been getting emotional about his future wedding. One of the things that you have to understand about Jesus is that he doesn't want to have a relationship with us that's just represented by us being his little soldiers in his little army or subjects in his kingdom. He wants to relate to us as our husband. And when we go through wedding parties, when we go to, to wedding parties, we have fun. But when the party's over, I think what we all know is that we have to re-engage with the problems of this world when the party's over. Not so with our future wedding party to Jesus. Look at how Jesus is pictured in the last book of the Bible. We're going to go to Revelation Chapter 21, look at verse 2. And John records here, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, come down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride. Remember this, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The church, the people of God are the bride, beautifully dressed for our husband, Jesus. And verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be, look at this part, no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I wish you could see what I see at weddings when I perform wedding ceremonies. I have a bird's eye view of what the groom sees because of where I'm standing at weddings. So as the bride walks down the aisle, she's got that wedding dress on and she's had her hair and her makeup done. And sometimes I'll just look over at the grooms and I've seen grooms brought to tears seeing the woman that he loves 
walk down that aisle. He's captivated by her beauty. And here's what I want you to know today. That's the way that Jesus sees you. Some of you need to know that. He sees you like the bride walking down the aisle. I know some brides obsess about small things at their weddings, right? You know, they're like, hey, the dress cover is over part of my tattoo, or I didn't lose enough weight before the wedding. But what I want you to know is, is that he doesn't care about any of that. He sees you as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And look, at that wedding, on that day, we'll party into eternity. And it will be a party that is unbelievable that you've never seen. But what you gotta understand is a party like this is not free. Anyone who's put on a great banquet, a party, a wedding knows that they come with a great cost. So while Jesus is at this wedding, he's not just thinking of his wedding, but he's thinking what it's going to take to pay for his wedding. He knows that the only way to purchase the bride, you and I, the church, is to go through the hour. Sure, wine in the Bible represents joy and feasting, but it also represents something else. The young bride at this wedding no doubt, had just been through the first century marriage process. So when couples got engaged, the guy or potential groom, along with his dad, would go to the home of the young woman. And what they would do is they would negotiate the bride price with the bride's father. And it was a big number. It was like the cost of your house. Some things haven't changed, said all the dads who paid for weddings recently. But the young man's dad would pull out a flask of wine and he would pour a cup of wine and he would hand the cup of wine to his son and the son would lift up the cup, turn to the young woman and say something like, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. In other words, I love you and I give you my life. Will you marry me? And if the young woman's answer was no, she would just politely push the cup away. And if her answer was yes, she wouldn't say anything, but she would just take the cup and drink it down. That's her way of saying, I receive your life as a gift and I give you mine. So I want you to keep that in mind as we go together to the last supper or the last Passover meal that Jesus had with his young Jewish disciples, they would have thought a lot about the marriage custom since they were young and marrying age. And they were celebrating the Passover meal that they had done many, many times since they were children. And by the way, if you wanna learn more about the four cups of Passover, we'll link below to a message uh, we taught here at the church in the Read the Red series on how to understand the red. And in that, we break down the four cups of Passover. So we'll link to it below. But Jesus held out the third cup of Passover and he totally reframed it. He held out that third cup of Passover, which represents redemption and the wrath of God. And by the way, by the wrath of God, we mean God will not sweep injustices under the rug. Then Jesus said to his young disciples, 
I give you my life. Will you receive it? And some of those young disciples, they may have laughed or giggled for a little bit. And then maybe they caught on. And they're like, oh, he's not literally proposing marriage to us, but he loves us so much, he's really going to give his life for us. Ten hours later, Jesus would be on his face in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying to God with such intensity that blood was coming from his pores. And he prayed, Father, please take this cup from me, but not my will, yours be done. My hour has come. Then a short time later, Jesus was on the cross drinking from the third cup of God's wrath for our sin and injustices so that we can enjoy the eternal banquet. And look, He loves you. He paid a very high price for you. Will you enter into a commitment of love with Him? For some of you, it could be like your first communion today. Will you drink of the cup and accept Him? Now, others of you already know Christ. You've already accepted Him. And He says to you, as often as you take the bread and drink the cup, remember me. In other words, He's saying, hey, Christ followers, those that know me, those of you that have read every study Bible and listen to all these blo- you know, podcasts and blogs of pastors, don't take me for granted. Be eternally thankful for the price that I had to pay for our love relationship. Keep all this in mind as our worship team leads us in communion. Now please join us by taking the bread that you've prepared for communion and hold it in your hand. As we choose to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross, we do this in remembrance of him. Please join us as we take together the wine or juice that you've prepared at home. Go ahead and uh, take that juice or take that wine and hold it up in your hands like this. We drink the wine or the juice in remembrance of the, the blood that Jesus spilled for us. He paid the highest cost that we would have life and life in the full. So go ahead and take the wine and drink in remembrance of him. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness toward us. We thank you for the high cost that you paid on Calvary. You were tortured so that we would be free. You were put to death on our account that we would have life in the full. So God, we thank you for this hope that we have in you. We thank you for your body broken, your blood poured out for us. And we look to you right now. Thank you for your forgiveness of our sin, that we would have true righteousness because of what you've done, that you have given us everything that we need for a life of godliness, for a life 
that is full of hope and full of grace and full of your joy. God, we thank you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Next week, we'll be embracing all the joy that God will give us to endure difficult times as we'll continue studying John's gospel and we'll post reading plans for you, God times uh, that you can have in your reading plans. Uh, For those who'd like to read along with us, uh, make sure and take a look at that reading plan. Also, before we wrap up today, I just want to encourage you, if this service was helpful for you, to share it. Also, hit that subscribe button so that you can uh, get these teachings on a regular basis. And also, we encourage you to steward your resources. Now, uh, as we think about worship through our resources today, I'd like to read part of an email that we received recently from someone uh, that together we, we helped in our church. And here's what the email says. The lady writes, my husband and I made the choice to welcome Jesus into our hearts. Getting baptized was such an incredible feeling. Our family loves that City Tribe has a beautiful service every Sunday. It gives us all so much hope. We truly look forward to it every week. I'm writing you this email to thank you for how City Tribe helped my niece and nephew buy a car. They just had a baby 26 weeks early. They were truly in need of a car, especially since they need to be able to go to and from the hospital for the baby. I cried happy tears when I received a call saying City Tribe wanted to help them out. I'm also humbled and thankful to know I attend such an amazing church. City Tribe, you not only helped purchase a car for my niece and nephew, you also gave them a crib, car seat, and other necessities for the baby. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. May God bless you, City Tribe. I want to tell you, that's a great story to be a part of, isn't it? And stories like this, is why we want to continue to bring a first fruit tithe, which means tenth and above, at our local storehouse, the church, where the gospel is taught and where people are served like this. Here's how to get that done at City Tribe Church. You can donate by mail. Send your offerings to P.O. Box 830745, San Antonio, Texas, 78283. You can also do so by text. Just text the word tribe, space, the dollar amount to 74483. Or you can donate online at citytribe.church slash tithe. So before you worship through financial stewardship and we end the broadcast, please allow us to speak a benediction over you. If there's a friend or family member next to you there in quarantine, go ahead and put your hand on their shoulder or reach out to the screen. Well, Tribe, as you begin a new week, I encourage you that whether it's paletas, flautas, sharing a funny meme, a bike ride on the river walk, tacos and maybe your favorite beer, or maybe the best wine in your pantry, you better recognize that joy shows us that we can have life and life to the full. We're glad you were part of the Tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.